Great, thank you for that. Um, so I want to get, uh, before I get into it, just a, a little bit of a recap. Um, and so um, what we're going to be looking at this morning is called the transfiguration. Uh, it's the transfiguration is where Jesus is uh, uh, transfigured and we see their different characters uh, in the story. <clears throat> but last week I shared with you and we looked at a, a king with a cross, the whole thing of uh, pick up your cross uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And the thing about uh, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. When you lose your life, you will find it. And so we looked at this, this what is, we looked at this, uh, we looked at Jesus as a king with a cross. And this morning I want to look at the title of my sermon is a, a King with a Kingdom. So last week we looked at a king with a cross. This week we're going to look at a king with a kingdom. Um, and so when you look at the whole gospel of Mark, it's quite interesting when you go from chapter one all the way through to the end of the book. Uh, as I shared with you last week, the book of Mark is divided into two parts. And it's Mark chapter eight that is the dividing part um, or that sort of the flip over from the one part to the other. Uh, and we looked at that last week. And so the first part uh, of the gospel of Mark, the, the, what Mark looks at is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And then the second half of the, the, the gospel of Mark is um, we look at what did Jesus come to do? Uh, um, we look in more detail at the mission of Jesus. So the first part, who is Jesus? And the second part is, um, what is the mission of Jesus? What did he come to do? And we're starting to get into that part of the book of Mark now, is like what Jesus had come to do. And we're going to start this morning, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to looking at uh, the topic of a king with a kingdom. And so just a recap in terms of last week, uh, we see that Jesus in, in Mark chapter 8, he declares Jesus as the anointed one. He declares Jesus as the Christ. He declares Jesus as the Messiah. And I think that's sort of the climax or the pinnacle of who Jesus is. So the first eight chapters of Mark, Mark is just laying the foundations to get to this point where Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah, where, where Peter declares Jesus as king. And we've had that opportunity, haven't we? Like as we reflect on Peter, we get that opportunity to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And uh, in, your, in, your, um, in your discipleship journey, I think it would be a nice declaration, even if you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed, if you're in a, a difficult situation or if you see the, the glory of God or you see the, the blessings of God, to be able to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Jesus, you are the Messiah. What a declaration. Um, and we see Peter doing that, and it gives this opportunity to say that as well. And so it's at this confession where Peter declares Jesus the Messiah, everything changes. Everything changes when, when Peter declares Jesus the Messiah. Because we see there, as Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah, it's this uh, title that's given to Jesus that Jesus accepts. Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah. And then Jesus immediately explains that he must die, that I'm, I am the king, I am the Messiah, but I must, I must die. And then he calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him. As Jesus takes up his cross, we must take up our cross. We must follow him. We must do the same. And so we had a look last week at a king with a cross. And this morning, as I said, the title of my message is a king with a kingdom, a king with a kingdom. And that's what I want to pick up on today. So with that, let's get into it. If you've got your Bibles open there with you, I want to I start with um, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. It says there, six days after the confession, 
Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, where Peter confesses Jesus the Messiah. So it's six days from that experience. It goes on to say Jesus takes up Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, and they get to experience the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, if you read that portion of scripture, I don't know about you, but like you've got to just take a moment to say, whoa, hang on a moment. Actually, everything is changing. Uh, but what, what those disciples, Peter, James, and John experienced, you've got, to, you've got to take a moment to say, yes, I do agree that it was something very different. It was something quite supernatural. I mean, think about it. There they're standing and they're on this, on this mountain. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' clothes turns white. And it says that it's, it, was, it was so white that you couldn't bleach any clothing. So Jesus changes. Not only that, Elijah and Moses appear. And you're going like, really? You've got these guys that, uh, that lived so many years ago. They appear. Um, and so uh, not only that, uh, those three characters are engulfed with a big cloud. And, and out of that cloud comes God's voice, God's audible voice. Where he talks about Jesus, his son. Listen to him. And so there again, you've got Peter, James, and John. They're experiencing this. And it was something totally supernatural. Totally supernatural. To the effect that in verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. I think that's a disclaimer. <laughs> I think that's he's sort of like, he doesn't want to mess this one up. But he's, he's saying, Jesus, it is, it is amazing to be here. Um, but he, then it says he didn't know what to say because he was so frightened. He was so frightened. And so what I want to do is I, I want to paint the context. I want to give us a context that this is the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Elijah and Moses are in their midst. There is this, this cloud of smoke that has engulfed them. There is the audible voice of God. Something has changed. Something has changed from from Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus not only says, I am the Messiah, but things start to happen. Things start to happen. And so I believe this transfiguration, this portion of scripture, is the first experience of Jesus establishing his rule on earth. Okay, so this morning, I'm going to ask you to put your seatbelts on. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to create a bit of space around you because we're going to go for it this morning. We're going to, we're going to experience the king and his kingdom. And so I'm going to ask you, it's going to be an opportunity. I'm really going to ask you to, to, to lean in and to really engage in this because this is, we're going to go a little bit deep, but it's so important that if we ought to be Christ followers to pick up our cross and follow him, it's not only following him in death, it's following him in life. Jesus rose from the dead. And as he rose from the dead, he gives us this mandate. He gives us this power uh, over death. And, uh, and, and it's, we ought to carry on uh, his kingdom. We ought to carry on his rule on earth. And so it's so important for us to move away from this idea of him being a king with a cross. Because he is also a king with a kingdom. And this transfiguration, I believe, is the first experience of the kingdom of God coming to earth. And so we know that the kingdom of God is his dynamic rule and reign on earth. So the kingdom of God, it's his dynamic rule and reign. No longer would Satan have complete dominion over the earth and its people. 
Jesus has come with, a, with one purpose in mind, to destroy the activities of Satan in this world. And I guess as we live more in this technological world, as we live more in this, uh, this modern world, if we live more in this scientific world, uh, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we, we want to stay clear of Satan and demonic powers and the ruler of this age. And I'm saying, no, we've got to, we've got to focus on that because when Jesus comes, he breaks into earth. And Jesus' life and death on the cross, it wasn't so that he could forgive our sins. Yes, that is true. But Jesus declared war on Satan and the powers of this earth. Jesus came in and he engaged in this cosmic war that was declared between Jesus and Satan and the, the spiritual powers. I mean, that's what's happening behind the scenes. And so when we see this transfiguration, we see that it's, it's the beginning of things to come, the beginning of things to come. So Jesus comes with one purpose in mind, to destroy the activities and the power of Satan over the world and over our lives. Um, thumbs up. Are you guys all right? You still with me? Okay. Can, I'm going to carry on. Is that good? Let's, let's, let's discover more about this king and his kingdom. But I, I need to give you this context. And so this experience of the transfiguration uh, it speaks into the reality um, of heaven invading earth, heaven invading earth. It's, 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 this transfiguration speaks into that, that, that prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, where he teaches his disciples on how to pray. And what does Jesus say? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be established on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we discover with the transfiguration, because remember the transfiguration was six, six days before that, Jesus was declared as the king. And so it's this idea of having faith. And if you, when you have faith, you see Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah. And it's that faith step that he gets to experience it. And so what we have here at the transfiguration is that heaven is breaking into this world. Heaven is breaking into our reality. The kingdom of God is, is confronting the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of darkness. Wow, that is radical stuff. That is radical stuff. And we've got to continue to engage with not only the king and the cross, but the king and the kingdom. The king and the kingdom. Because it, has, it, it, it affects the way we live our lives as Christ followers to understand the kingdom. It affects our lives in the way that we that we partner with God in His mission on this on this on this world on this earth because it just puts things into perspective for us. So there are three things that I want to share with you that that speak into the understanding and the experience of the kingdom of God from this portion of Scripture. And I want to get into the first point. Uh, so we've got three points that speak into this reality of the kingdom of God. And the first point is this. Peter says, after he says, Lord, it's good to be here. He goes on to say, um, let us, so it's, it's verse five, and on, verse five, um, yeah, verse five. And he goes on to say, uh, let us set up. So he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. But then he says, let us set up three shelters for you, for Moses and Elijah. And, and so that's what's, that's what uh, Peter's response is. And so like, 
when you think about that, you think like, wow, why would, why would Peter say that? Let us set up three shelters for the, for the three characters. I want to pause on this and do another word study around this, this word shelter. Um, when you look at this word shelter, translated in the Greek, it speaks of this concept of the tabernacle. Okay, now, now your antenna need to, you know, your antenna need to like prick up now because like, interesting thing. So what Peter is saying, is saying, Lord, it's good to be here, but I am frightened. Can we not set up three tabernacles for the three of you? And so the connection between uh, the, the, the shelter and the tabernacle speaks into the connection between the tabernacle and experiencing God. So when you looked at the, at the time that this transfiguration happened, that was the way that human beings engaged with the divine. Human beings engaged with the divine through a tabernacle and then later through a temple. But the reality is we know now that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So what we need to understand about this encounter, it speaks into this connection between shelter and tabernacle, speaks to the connection between the way human beings engaged with a divine being. This speaks into the experience when, when God's glory came down on Mount Sinai. We see that, uh, that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he experienced, he experienced God and the people experienced God. And when Moses came down and he was shining the glory of God, the people said, let's build a tabernacle because it was their way of being able to connect with the divine. You see, most religions recognize there is a gap between the divine and humanity. And you would agree with me that there is this, this gap, there is this distinction, there is a separation between divine and humanity. Because in most religions, um, uh, we would set up a tabernacle, we would set up a temple. And, uh, and it's in this space, there would be priests. And the, with the priest, there would be sacrifice, there would be rituals. And so I just want, to, I want you to bear with me because it's such an important aspect of the kingdom of God. And so having a priest at a tabernacle or a temple, he would mediate between God and man. He would mediate in that gap. The sacrifices, they would take away the sin. So the divine being or God would be sinless and he can't look on sin. And, uh, and therefore the sacrifices and the rituals uh, uh, pay for our sins. Not only that, we see that priests sacrifice rituals and that's encased by the tabernacle encased by the temple it would protect it would protect humans from divine presence and so in the old testament we see that um, god connected with these people through the tabernacle and then after that uh, solomon built a temple and so what peter is doing is his frame of reference is that us being in the presence of divine there needs to be a tabernacle there needs to be a temple. There needs to be a priest. There needs to be sacrifice. There needs to be a mediator. And so, and so as Peter says this, he can't set up those, uh, uh, he can't set up those, uh, those shelters. He can't set up those tabernacles in that moment. Then what God does in his grace is he creates a, crowd, a, a cloud around those three, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Um, and he covers with them with this cloud. Now, if you look at the parallel to this, we see in Mount Sinai, Moses goes up 
to Mount Sinai to experience God. And that whole top section of Mount Sinai is engulfed in a cloud. And I just love Moses and his, just his, his, his faith and his determination to experience God. And so Moses says, um, I want to see your glory. Uh, and, and God, uh, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your infinite greatness and your, uh, you know, an unimaginable beauty. Moses wants to stare in the face of God. But we know that experience that God replies, he says, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand and I'll pass you by. Because he says that no one has ever seen my face. No one can see my face and live. That's in Exodus 33 verse 18. So Peter, he sees this happening right before his eyes and his frame of reference is to go back to Moses and Mount Sinai, because the reference is, is Moses that is with them. I mean, this is a profound portion of scripture. I mean, things have changed, guys. Things have changed. There is a king with a cross. There is a king with a kingdom. And Jesus, through God, is wanting to establish his kingdom supernaturally. Supernaturally. And so there is this frame of reference that Peter has to that of Mount Sinai and what God has done in and through Moses' Moses's life. And so the reason why Moses couldn't see the face of God or experience his presence because was God, God is holy other um, and God is, is totally holy and uh, man is totally sinful. And there is, this, there is this gap between God and human beings. And so as the tabernacle is built, God relates to the people of Israel through the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And then in the temple, he, he, he speaks to the people. Or he, he, he presences himself with the people in the Holy of Holies. The raw presence of God Almighty is fatal, is fatal. Now, that for you and I is something that's foreign, but, but it is the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe. His presence is fatal. You can't endure the presence of my holiness, of my glory, says the Lord to Moses. Wow, I, uh, Moses was, you know, really brave and, uh, and he really presses into the Lord and, and wanting to see his face, wanting to experience his glory. And so this, this idea of, of, of Peter and the other disciples seeing this experience, the frame of reference, it's this it's this experience of the Shekinah glory, uh, the, the manifest presence of God. And as I was preparing this message, I really pray that we get to experience the manifest presence of God. I pray that we get to experience the Shekinah glory. I pray that as we read this portion of scripture, as we discover more of the kingdom of God, we would move out of place complacency. We would move out of a sense of saying, I feel God every so often. We'll move out of a sense of, of like, does God really exist? We'll move out of the position of saying, where is God when I need him the most? And we will come into this understanding of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. That you get to experience the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. So I'm moving away from being emotional to praying, to be fiery and saying, come on. Let's let the kingdom of God invade earth. Because when that happens... The evidence of the kingdom of God breaking into our reality is the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God, the manifest presence of God. 
that there is one totally other. There is one totally uh, uh, holy. There is one that has all glory. It's that that the way we are created, the capacities that we have as human beings, we hunger for that presence. We desire that presence. But so often we fill it with so many other things. So often we're so disillusioned because we feel that, you know, I'm not experiencing that kind of glory. I'm saying you aren't supposed to experience it all the time. But there are moments where you say, Lord, I want to see your face. I want to experience your Shekinah glory. I want to be taken up into the third heaven. I want to experience your face. And it's this that, that Peter is speaking into, Peter, James, and John. They are in the, they are in the presence of Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. But what's the difference? What's the difference as they experience God's glory? They don't die. Something is happening. Something is happening. These three disciples are bystanders to the Shekinah glory, and they haven't died. They haven't died. So the cloud lifts, and as the cloud lifts, we see that, uh, that Moses is not there, Elijah is not there, and they are gone. And when you, and when you look around, when you, what Mark, the gospel writer, is trying to communicate with us is that Moses is gone, Elijah is gone, and Jesus Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge that brings us closer. Jesus is the one that crosses the gap between God and humanity. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus gave what Moses and Elijah couldn't. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better Elijah. Through Jesus, the, he has crossed the gap into the very heart of the reality. And the reality is this. He is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is the ultimate priest to point the way to all the priests. Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God as Moses and Elijah did. Jesus is the glory of God. Thumb up. Amen. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. Wow. And that's why when Jesus dies on the cross, what's the first thing that happens in the Holy of Holies? The curtain is torn in two. I think, I think it was at this transfiguration that, I mean, I could, it might sound sacrilegious, but I'm just, I'm just thinking a little bit here. I'm just thinking a little bit here. When the transfiguration happens and Jesus is the glory of God, I think if somebody had to walk into the Holy of Holies, they would not get struck down because the kingdom of God had broken. Don't quote me now. Don't quote me on that. I don't want to, you know, if I'm going to get all these emails, but I'm just thinking it's like if, 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 if God says, this is my son whom I love. And those that are standing by that experience the Shekinah glory and don't die. Then I say like, go into the Holy of Holies. And so the tearing of the, the curtain uh, is almost, it's almost um, consequential of Christ's victory. It's often we think it's like, crucial it's very crucial but in the the scheme of things wow look what's happened here look 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 what look what jesus has done um and the temple is torn in two and we get to experience the presence of god so that was a long point but i needed to make it are you okay with that so the first 
the first thing we get out of the transfiguration, uh, that the kingdom of God is the presence of God. Wherever the presence of God is, wherever the rule and reign of God is, there is his kingdom. And so for you and I, that sounds, yeah, that's obvious. But if you look at the context and you look at sort of uh, um, uh, Peter's frame of reference, it is radical. It is radical that uh, we don't need to go uh, into the Holy of Holies. We don't need to go through a priest. We don't need to do all these rituals. We don't need to sacrifice. We get to experience Jesus Christ because the kingdom of God has broken into our reality. Great. The second point, moving on quickly. I want to focus on the two figures in this transfiguration. You've got Moses and Elijah. And it's so important for us to pick up on them because, I mean, God could have invited any character to be part of this transfiguration. Within all the scriptures, I mean, I would have my, my list of uh, 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 sort of characters, maybe someone like Gideon, who's a warrior, Samson, who's a great fighter. Uh, 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 maybe we could have had uh, uh, one or two of the, the other characters in the Bible um, uh, to be able to be part of that, um, you know, in terms of uh, experiencing all of that. Um, but it's Moses and Elijah. And the interesting thing is, if you do some studies, Moses is famous as the liberator of the, and, and he's the liberator of the people, and he, he is the one that introduces the law of God. You see that Elijah is, he is one of the great prophets. In actual fact, Elijah needs to be witnessed. Elijah needs to be present in order for the inauguration of Christ, as we read that scripture later. So Elijah is the one that, if you see Elijah, the king is coming. If you see Elijah, God is present, or his presence is imminent. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God in world history. So what do I mean by that? Well, the purpose in which God had uh, in using Moses and Elijah, he used them to, to, to bring about his purposes. He used them to, to, to share with the people. He used them to, to build that relationship between God and, and his people. Uh, and we see that with Moses, um, when when Moses represents this idea that well, everything that is written down in the law of Moses. So those were probably the five, first five books of the Bible. And then we see Elijah, he represents the writings of the prophet. Now, Moses and Elijah and the writings of the law and the writings of the prophet, in actual fact, that was the scriptures of that time. Our Old Testament was the scriptures of the time. And it's so profound because as Jesus break, as God breaks through into the king. In, into this world with his kingdom, he brings his king, Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to see uh, that, that Moses and Elijah, their presence is so significant. Why is it so significant? Well, if you look at sort of when Jesus gives the two great commandments, he says, all the law, of the, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. We see on the road to Emmaus, he taught everything that was written about him in terms of the law of Moses and the book of the prophets. We see where Peter finds Nathaniel and he says, we have, found, uh, we have found the one Moses has written about in the law and the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. So Moses, Moses, and, jo and, uh, Moses, Moses and Elijah, they represent all within the scriptures. All within the scriptures. You could say Moses and Elijah were the authority. 
They were the ones that God spoke to from Moses all the way through to the prophets ending in Elijah. And so what, what we see here, not only is Jesus a true and better Moses and the true and better Elijah, but we see the fulfillment of scriptures. Wow. The kingdom breaking into this world, the kingdom breaking in uh, uh, to, to our reality is about Jesus uh, uh, being the king. It's about Jesus uh, fulfilling the law of Moses and fulfilling uh, the writings of the prophet. And then you get that, that, that voice from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So here's the thing. In the Old Testament, whenever the manifest presence was experienced, so the manifest presence could be the burning bush. It could be, it could be um, Moses on the mountain. It could be the prophets that experience God in his Shekinah glory. Where the, the manifest presence of God is, is, is experienced. Every time we read that in the Old Testament, there was a commissioning that took place. Very interesting. There was a commissioning that took place. So what we have here in this transfiguration is that God is not only saying that Jesus fulfills all the scriptures, the scriptures of that of Moses and that of Elijah. He's saying, no, not only that, I am commissioning my son, the king, the king of this kingdom. God commissions Jesus. We also see that there is another experience of the manifest presence of God. Matthew 28, verse 18. We are to continue the kingdom work. That Jesus says, all authority is given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is this, there is a sense of experience the presence of God. Uh, uh, there is a sense of the empowerment of the Spirit of God uh, as we encounter the kingdom. Wow. You're still with me? I've got about five minutes to finish the next point. We have the kingdom of God breaking into our reality. We have the kingdom of God uh, defeating the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Um, and that is sort of uh, realized in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ascension of Jesus Christ, the downpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what we find in that portion of scripture from verse 9, what's quite interesting, as they come down from the mountain, Jesus says to them, he says, tell no one what you have seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Um, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what uh, rising from the dead meant. And then they ask about Elijah as well. And so from that moment that they come down from the transfiguration, Jesus starts teaching about the kingdom. Jesus taught, starts teaching about the kingdom. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Elijah must come first. Uh, and Jesus says Elijah must come first. But Elijah has come. So there's, some, there's, a, there's a mark there as well that's so important for us. And so Jesus starts teaching about the kingdom. And what you find there in that discussion, it's quite clumsy from the disciples because they don't know, like, has the kingdom come? Or do we still need to see the kingdom come? Has the kingdom been established? Because remember in them, they had this political kingdom in mind. They had this political king that was going to come in power, and that hasn't happened. And so they're trying to sort of place themselves or trying to find that chronological flow of the kingdom of God. And we see in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, right in the beginning of Mark, he says, a time has come, he said. He says, a time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God 
has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. And so in this point, this first experience where Jesus teaches about the kingdom, you look through all the gospels, you look through all the parables, and Jesus teaches on the kingdom of God. But it's quite confusing if you think about it. Because Jesus would say in a parable that the kingdom of God is near. Then he would say that the kingdom of God is present. Then he would say that the kingdom of God is delayed. And then he would say the kingdom of God is future. And this is the mystery of the kingdom. See, if we had to, if we had to understand the kingdom and we would sort of embrace it, I don't think we would understand the power of it. And so the parables of Jesus, they don't, they're not there to confuse us. They're not there to, con- to contradict themselves. They are there to say that the kingdom of God is mysterious. Yes, the kingdom of God is simultaneous. Want to hear me now? Go, uh, hang in there. The kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God is simultaneously near, present, delayed, and future. What? The kingdom of God is near, present, uh, delayed, and it's in the future. It's this, it's this, it's this mystery of the kingdom. And so this is what the, Jesus will try and teach the disciples about the kingdom of God. And our understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom, it's, it's a term that we've used before, and it's the ready but the not yet. The ready is that the kingdom has been established at the transfiguration. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is with us. It's the ready, but the kingdom is, is not yet here. And so it's this understanding that the future is broken into the present. The future is broken into the present in terms of the kingdom of God was to come and all those that were sick will be healed. It, 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 all those that were, that were blind would see. Or there would be no more suffering. There would be no more tears. There would be no more pain when the kingdom of God would be established. And so Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is with you. What's the problem? There is still tears. There is still sadness. There is still pain. There is still sin. And so the reality of the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God, it's the future breaking into the present. And in the second coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God will be inaugurated. The king or the kingdom of God would be, would be set and established. And he will have the final victory over, over Satan. He will have the final victory over, over the kingdom of darkness. And God's kingdom will be established. God's kingdom will be established. Uh, are you okay with that? Does it make a little bit of sense? A little bit? Okay. I want to show you this diagram. Um, and uh, can, can you all see that? Can somebody just shout yes because I can't see you? No, no. Uh, Tim, can, you sh- can I share this? You should be able to. Okay, there. Okay. No, we still can't see anything. Can you see that? Ah, okay, it's coming. Up it's now. coming. Okay. Yeah. There we go. It. You got yeah. that. Okay, yeah. so I wanted to share this this drawing with you. It's about the kingdom of God being established, but not fully I- empowered. It's about the future breaking into the present. And so God created the heavens and the earth. Um, God created the what's wrong? Okay, so God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, in creating the heavens and the earth, he created Adam and Eve and to be in relationship with, um, with, I uh, just want to just, uh, okay, 
uh, and God created God created Adam and Eve and was in relationship with them. And we see in Genesis 1, 2, uh, and 3, uh, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and uh, they handed over their, or they, their relationship with God was broken. And uh, there was a relationship with the world and the relationship with Satan. And so it was at the moment of the fall that this break in relationship with, with God and mankind. And what we find from that point on all the way through, we, there is this term called this present evil age that we're living in, um, that everybody lives in this present evil age. Um, but what we will see one day, uh, what we will see one day is that, that Jesus will come again, the second coming, and uh, the age to come will be established. The age to come will be established. And this is the way that, uh, that, uh, the, um, uh, that uh, the Jewish people on the day of Jesus understood the kingdom of God. Um, and it's just so important for us to understand. So there is the fall, the break in relationship between God and man, and, uh, and that creates this present evil age. Um, there will come, there will be an age to come where Jesus will establish his kingdom, where, where the sick will be healed. Uh, there'll, be, uh, there'll, there'll be an opportunity for people to see that we're blind. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more disease. There, the, the, the lion will lamb, lie with the lamb. There'll be, there'll be a perfection in this age to come. Um, but there is this Old Testament promises that we receive in, in the scriptures that talk about Jesus' death, resurrection, and Pentecost. So as we were talking about the king, uh, what God is doing is establishing his kingdom through Jesus, the first coming of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, uh, his ascension into heaven, and Pentecost, and Pentecost. Now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is with us. But here's the thing is that we still live in this evil present age, but because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and establishing his kingdom, we get to experience the future in the present. It's the age to come that we experience in the present. It's that what we experience, and it's in that experiencing the, the age to come in, in our time now, and we live in the New Testament fulfillment. We live in this age where the, uh, that which Jesus has established, we get to live. And one day, Jesus' second coming, he will come and he will establish his kingdom. And that's why in this little block here where it says New Testament fulfillment, that's the already but the not yet. That's the, that's the place that we, that we find ourselves, that we live in. And, and in that, just close this because uh, I just want to see you guys. In that, the, the, we get to experience the future in the present. And, and that's the idea of the ready and the not yet. It's this tension that we live in. Because sometimes we pray for someone to be healed, and sometimes they're healed and sometimes they're not. Sometimes when we, when we share the gospel with people, some people receive the gospel and other people don't receive the gospel. It's this tension that we're living. It's not that God doesn't love us. It's not that God isn't all powerful. It's not that God hasn't defeated Satan. It's not that the kingdom of God hasn't broken into our reality. He has. He has. But it's this place that we find ourselves, the, the kingdom of God. We live the kingdom of God, and it's this tension. And I don't know if you, I hope I'm making some sense to you, but as a Christ follower, do you have that sense of tension in your life when it comes to living your life as a Christ follower? I mean, part of that tension is if you want to find your life, you must lose it. And when you lose your life, you'll find it. It's that reality that we find ourselves in. And so we're living in 
They call it inaugurated eschatology. It's the end times experienced now, and we get to experience that. And so what I want to say about that is that in our, pr our primary aim in life is to love and to glorify God. Uh, and it's to participate in his kingdom work in relevant ways. We are, to, uh, we are to care for people. We are to pray for the sick. We are to clothe the naked. We are to be sensitive to the Father's leading. We need to see, uh, uh, we need to see people get their sight. We need to see the lame walk. We need to see leprosy healed. We need to heal the sick. Those, uh, those spiritually sick, those physically sick, we, we need to release the poor. Um, you know, those that, uh, that are spiritually poor, those that are, uh, that is, those that are physically poor. We need to declare freedom for the prisoners. Prisoners trapped spiritually, prisoners trapped in prison. So we're going to do Alpha in Paul's Mall. Um, we, 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 we lay hands on the sick. We, we see God move in supernatural ways. And so that is our responsibility. That is, that is our desires that as we follow Jesus, we don't just follow him to the cross, but we continue the kingdom work that he's established for us. And as communities of the king, churches should model what the kingdom looks like, what the kingdom looks like. And so when we engage in the kingdom activity, it's not to point to the kingdom, it's to point to the king. It's to point to the king. And as we, as we experience the king, we know that the king is seated at the right hand of the father and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, not for experience only, but we receive the, the experience of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit for purpose. So that we would seek the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would work through us as we continue the work of the kingdom. As Christ followers, we serve a king, but not only a king of a cross, a king of a kingdom. And it's there we find ourselves that, uh, that as, uh, as, as, as we experience the Shekinah glory, as we, uh, as we experience Jesus Christ and his presence, as we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, there we will find kingdom activity. So even if you go and work at Balporta in the vegetable garden, you're extending the kingdom of God. When you are at work and you speak a, a word of kindness to a staff member or you, you engage with, per, with the person, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, as a Christ follower, there you have an opportunity to, to express the kingdom. Um, where you commit yourself to a local church, where you commit yourself to a community and you, you engage in that community, there you experience the kingdom of God. What a great mandate for you and I, not to just like, hey, I'm living my Christian life and it's about me and God. No, there's this kingdom mandate. There's this kingdom mandate to continue the work of Jesus. Well, I'd love us to be a community that, that heal the sick, that release the poor, that declare freedom to the prisoners, um, all of that. I would love us to be that type of people. And perhaps COVID has got us to the point where it's me, myself, and Jesus. Or it's got us to the point where we feel like, you know, life is so hectic that actually I've got, I have not engaged in any kingdom activity. 
And Jesus is radical and he calls us to a radical life. And it's not me saying that. It's, it's us saying, I follow this king. I follow this king. And as I follow this king, I'm part of his kingdom. I'm part of his kingdom. And God is calling us to step out. God is calling us to step up. God is wanting to transcend COVID realities. God is wanting to empower your personality. God is wanting to strengthen your character. God is wanting to draw you out. And this is a, I've got to close now because I've, we've, we've spent a lot of time together and I've talked a lot, but, but I want to encourage you as M5, don't give up. Just because we're not meeting doesn't mean that you're not a kingdom citizen. Just because we're not meeting in a building doesn't mean that, that the work of the kingdom stops. Oh, I really want to encourage you. Don't lose heart. We will find a building. We will gather. Don't, don't give up. Don't, don't, don't be, be overrun by, by the world. Don't be overrun by circumstances. Don't be, don't be shy by your, your, your personality type or, you know, like the busyness of work or your insecurities. Don't, don't, don't pull back. Don't pull back. We get to experience the transfiguration of Jesus as a reminder that we follow a king who has a kingdom. M5, I believe God will use us powerfully. And this is our testing time. I believe God is going to take this community and, and extend his kingdom into the city. But we can't give up the fight. We, 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 can't, we can't step out of the kingdom. We can't, we can't start following the king from a distance. No, 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 no. We've got to, please don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, I really want to pray for us this morning that we, we stay the course. Uh, I want to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for this opportunity to share. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for uh, the transfiguration and just all that it means. Thank you that, that the, the transfiguration is the first experience of your kingdom. Breaking through. The present, the, the future breaking into the present. And Lord, there is so much mystery to your kingdom. There is this tension that we need to hold between the, the future breaking into the present. But I pray that, that more than, 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 than us not understanding it, that we would, by faith, embrace it. And that, Jesus, we will follow you as king. We will follow you into the battle. We will follow you to war. Because we know, Jesus, you have, you've won the, the, the ultimate war. I just want to pray over each person on the screen. Not because you are an M5er, but because you're a Christ follower. I pray the kingdom of God be released in your life. Come Holy Spirit, as we experience your Shekinah glory, let there be a commission. Let there be an infilling of your spirit. Lord, we want to advance your kingdom because of you, Jesus because of what you have done. 
not for our own glory, not for the, the recognition of M5, but we are sold out. We've given up our lives. We've lost our lives. We have a new identity in Christ, and we have this kingdom identity that we are people of the kingdom. And as we are people of the kingdom, we receive our commission, we receive our infilling, and we will be involved in this, in this kingdom that pushes back the darkness in our world, in our country, in our homes, in our lives. We push back the darkness and say, Satan, you have been defeated. You have been defeated. You have no place here. You have no place here. We declare war on you, not through our own strength, but in the name of Jesus Christ. Won't you all pray with me? In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, advance your kingdom through us motley crew. Lord, advance your kingdom. Give us your commission. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to push back the darkness. It has no place. Lord, even if that, that, that manifestation of your glory, the manifestation of your kingdom starts in a little three by three meter patch in Valporta, a vegetable garden, start there, Lord. Push back the darkness, Father. Push back the darkness. It has no place. Come on, M5ers, although we can't meet together, let's, let's, let's push in. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give in. God says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you. I love you. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to empower you to push back the darkness. Push back the darkness. Oh, Lord, we, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that as we experience your Shekinah glory, we, we experience you. And, and, and won't you minister to us? Oh, Lord, there's so many people that are hurting. There's so many people that are afraid. There's so many people that have, that have lost work, that have lost income. Won't you come, Holy Spirit, and minister? As much as you empower, won't you minister? Come, Holy Spirit. Won't you receive this morning, people? Won't you receive? Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Come, Holy Spirit. 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 Let us, let us experience your presence. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Feel that as we say that more and more, as we pray that more and more, there is a strengthening that is happening. There's a refocus that is happening. There is empowering that is happening. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Won't you pray that? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and commission me. Come and, and, and equip me. Come and fill me with your power. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, use us to push back the darkness. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Sorry, I was going to sing a song there, but I totally out of tune. I didn't know what it was, but, but it was about come Holy Spirit. I really am sorry that I've gone way over time. I just really just wanted to share with you. And uh, um, yeah, um, just to say well, before I hand over, it's like, don't give up, guys. Don't give up. It's tough. It's hard. I wish we were together. I wish we were in one place. I wish we could be in the, the, the presence of, si of Simon leading us in worship, that we can lay hands on each other and embrace each other, not for that experience, but for the empowering, the commissioning.
But can I ask you, don't give up. Press in. Press in. Because we have a king with a cross and we have a king with a kingdom.